Genesis 12 and 6, it, it just jumped out to me. It was an interesting verse. It says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem. Shechem, that, that's an interesting name. I, I always get caught up on names in the Bible. What does that mean? What is Shechem? I know what a Shechel is. What is a Shechem? Shechem means between the shoulders. He passed between the shoulders. You know, between the shoulders, that's the place where burdens are placed. I've done some squats in my life. You put that weight right there on that place of burden, between the shoulders. That's where he passed, a place of burden. But Abram kept traveling. He says it until he came to a terebinth tree. He traveled as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. Well, what is Morah? Morah means teacher. What I found was the terebinth tree was a holy tree from where divine teaching was given. He traveled through a place of burden until he arrived at a teacher, a divine teaching. The next verse says the Lord appeared to Abram at the terebinth tree of the teacher the place of carrying burdens the Lord appeared you know what the Lord said to him he said Abram to your descendants I will give this land you might find yourself at the place of burdens you might be carrying a burden you didn't expect to carry Someone needs to hear me. Just keep traveling. Keep traveling. Keep trusting God. Keep walking. Keep moving. The divine teacher is going to show up, and he's got some promises that he's going to reveal to you in that time of burden. He has some good things in store. Amen? Amen. It is, it is a high honor and privilege to be here with you. And I love and appreciate your pastor, Pastor Johns, his family. They are, and I can say this, inspirations and mentors to my wife and I. And they are just special people. And we love them. And I know that you love them too. All the Johns family, Ryan and Kenzie, their family, they're special to us. And Joel and Alonda, they're not in here tonight in the back. They're special, and Justin and Teresa, and praying for her to recover. Their family are all special, and so we're just blessed to be here tonight. And I want to say to this church family, uh, most of you probably not familiar with me, uh, or our family maybe, but thank you for consistently giving throughout years to support new churches. This is a giving church. You're known as a giving church. In our church right now, my office that uh, is, is a beautiful set of cabinetry. Brother Minnick came over and, and did that. In the back of our sanctuary, or not sanctuary, a kid's sanctuary, beautiful cabinetry back there. So many special things. Our baptismal tank. When we baptize someone, they're being baptized in a tank that you helped pay for. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? So thank you for giving. As a matter of fact, this month, there are some, uh, a drum cage is going to go up that 
we got from this church right here. Went right back there in a closet and, and plucked it out. And just, there was a lot of other stuff in there. And I was super close to just like taking whatever I could. But Ryan was watching me closely. And so I couldn't get away with it. <laughs> this church has been very good to us. And I want to say thank you for all church planners and for all ministries that you support. I will try not to take much of your time tonight. And in reality, what I, what I tell you from here forward may not be better than what I gave you a minute ago. That's why I gave you that. A little, <laughs> little land yap uh, lets you know that I can come up, come up with a little bit better sermon illustrations or thoughts. Uh, but we are church planters, our family. And I want to talk to you as a church planter tonight. You say, what is a church planter? You may not be familiar with this term, uh, but if not, I'll tell you, church planner is an individual, a family or a team of families who go to a community and start a church. Most church planters are families who go alone to start a church. Every church starts as a church plant. Every church. Atlanta West started as a church plant, 1961. I wasn't even a thought then. <laughs> Brother John's was, Pastor John's was probably like seven years old. 1961, the basement of Merle and Louise Harper's home. Is there anybody here that, on the off chance, you were there? That would be so cool if I said that and somebody stood up. Sunday there will be. That is awesome. Thank God for them. Thank God for those people that started and pushed for a church to be. I look at what God has done because of sacrifice, because someone had a burden, because someone went. Do you think they could see what this church would become? Do you think they had any thought of what God would do through their effort. I don't know what will become of the church that I've planted. I pray that God does some amazing, great things even after I'm gone. A burden and a call to start a church, worship in a basement. Well, that's what our family did 2014. We moved to Sewanee, Georgia to start a new church. And let me tell you, our first Easter service, we had a huge, I'm telling you, huge crowd. It was the highest attendance we had seen since starting. God was so good to us. Eight people <laughs> were in attendance. Two of them were the evangelist and his wife that I paid to come because I did not want to preach feeling like a failure. <laughs> with six people, less than six people going to be there. Our son, my wife, the evangelist, his wife. We had a saint from a neighboring church. Thank God for saints that will come and support and make sure that the church is going to go. They were borrowed, and they went back to their church. But they came and said, well, they're having their first Easter service. We're going to come support them. And so they came for our first Easter service. And then we had a lady, a single lady, that we had in a Bible study and her grandson, and me. Eight 
people. That's just to show you that we were ripping it. We were having revival. Revival had arrived to Suwannee. But let me tell you, funny stuff happens in a new church. Funny stuff happens. Funny stuff happens in church. But real funny stuff happens in a new church. Real funny stuff. When you're starting a church, you use every resource you have at your disposal just to have a good church service. That includes people who may or may not be ready. One time we're having church, we're singing, we're worshiping, we're preaching. My wife and I, she's on the piano, and I think I may have been playing guitar, trying to lead worship. We learned that wouldn't work very quickly. We needed all hands loose that we could get loose. We noticed the slides are not progressing. Because you've got to have slides. I mean, you cannot have church if you don't have slides. You, you wouldn't know the songs if they didn't put them up here on the screen. Just not even possible. And nobody carries a Bible anymore. So we had slides. You have to have slides. But I look back to see what's going on. Slides aren't moving. And our social media man, he has become distracted by a movie. That some kid is watching on their parents' phone. Of course, I couldn't say anything because that was our media guy. Our eight-year-old son. He was our only committed member at the time. And I'm not sure how committed he was. <laughs> because not only was he the media man, but he was also the usher who would receive offering. And you don't last long if you don't receive offerings, so had to receive some offerings. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's super awkward for you to be the pastor and walk around and ask people to give. So I thought, you know, my, my son, people love kids. They're definitely going to give. They're going to be intimidated if I walk toward them. My wife's on the piano. My son, he can receive offerings. So we put the bag in his hand, and he goes and receives offering, and the normal thing was for him to bring that offering back up and, and hand it to me, the bag, and I would just set it down. We had a music stand that I'd preach from. I'd just sit it down, kind of out of the way. So he'd pass through, receive this offering. One Sunday, after receiving a terrible offering, by terrible I mean zero, <laughs> he's handing the bag back to me. And I can see the frustration on his face and a not-so-quiet volume. He says to me, I hate this church. <laughs> Nobody was given. And he was done. He was done. Oh, funny things happen in a church plant. We met in a community center that, that first year in a county park, George Pierce Park. And this guy that's on the screen right here, Edward, Edward worked at the county park. And he sat at the front desk every Sunday. And anytime someone came in, he'd greet them for us. And he would ask them, are you here for church? Or are you here for a bathroom? That's the greeting. Not the best first impression. 
You're trying to get to people. And I said, I said to him, I said, Edward, do we have to ask people when they come in if they're here for a bathroom? And his response to me was, yes, we're closed. The bathroom is closed. If they're here for church, they can use the bathroom. But if they're here for a bathroom, we have one outside on the other side of the park they need to go to. And so for several months, though, Edward listened to my sermons I was able to plant a seed for Edward with a Bible study, but in a sense, he was our first welcoming committee in the church. Are you here for church or here for a bathroom? That's free training for all the ushers and greeters that here, you work here, you can just start using that if you want to. I'm sure Pastor Johns would be fine with it. <laughs> so we started out with, with my wife and I and our son, and then Elsie, we have a six-year-old daughter now, she joined us on the journey. And uh, I'm going to tell you, when you have a child, everything is impacted. Any parents in here, you know. You have that child, everything changes. You have to manage the chaos. And when you're a church planner, that doesn't change. You have to manage the chaos of having a baby and planting a church. So Shelly, she would play worship, and then we'd take our daughter to another room. She would take our daughter to another room, and uh, she would nurse her there because often feeding time lines up with church time while I would preach. And when it was about time, we had this down, very, very mechanical. When it was about time for the altar call to happen, she would pop back in. Shelly would come and she would play and Elsie would be laid in her, what is that called? A carrier. That's what I'm thinking of. We're six years from that, so I don't remember that stuff. It was all well-orchestrated system. We had it perfect on the fly. We could do it perfect. Well, one Sunday, Elsie, she was famished. She was so hungry because I started to wrap up my sermon. And I look around, no Shelly. I stall. I reiterate my sermon points trying to keep any emotion and fervor that I had stirred up with my sermon there. No Shelly. And you can feel the flame is dying. No Shelly. The fire's going out. No Shelly. And so I started singing. If you've heard me sing, you know why I was playing guitar when we first started. And so I sang my own altar call, acapella, and we're pretty sure the fire went out. When she was a toddler, uh, we changed up a little bit because now she's mobile. Kids get mobile. It's one of the downsides of kids. Uh, so I, I or someone else would hold her during worship, my wife playing piano, leading, singing, and Shelly would then, we'd switch off, we'd a handoff, we'd do the handoff. Shelly'd watch her while I preached. But after, but at the altar call, uh, you... We would let other people in the church would, would hold her, and that was okay, and preaching and stuff. But at altar call, you definitely don't want people you're trying to pray through to the Holy Ghost holding a baby. It's, it's counterproductive. But we're both super involved in the altar call. She's playing. It's the only music you got. And I'm trying to get people to pray. So Wyatt, our son 
would do his best to manage his little sister. He's about 10, 11 years old. Often it worked well. Our son, we were blessed. He was such a huge help. But occasionally, it didn't. And there were times where I held her and gave an altar call. And that was all good. Learned how to manage that. But there was one particular Sunday we're having a move of God. I had preached the paint off the walls. They were peeling. We were going to have to hire professionals to come back. We had church. People were responding. They're in the altar. They're praying. I'm doing the Pentecostal preacher thing, and I'm palming foreheads. I'm rubbing backs. I'm wiggling jaws, trying to get them talking in tongues. Whatever you got to do, get them to the Holy Ghost, right? Well, Elsie is stirred up. She's frustrated. She's crying. She's getting wound up louder and louder. She's not getting the attention that she wants. And whatever our son is doing is not managing the chaos. So Shelly finally motions for him to bring Elsie up to her, picks, takes her in her arms, got her on her hip. She's trying to play one-handed and sing. And you'd think... We're expecting that to calm her down. We can go ahead praying for people. But Elsie is struggling to get away from Shelly. Shelly's trying to play the piano and hold on to her and sing and play for altar call. It wasn't, it wasn't very distracting at all at that point. You know, I, I noticed. And no one else noticed. Until Elsie started saying over and over, at the top of her lungs, right in the microphone, I poop. I poop. She had a dirty diaper. She was not happy about it. She was ready to be changed. And what do you do? You stop playing and you go change a diaper. And I start singing a cappella and palming foreheads and praying that nobody was hearing what I was hearing. That's what you do. We had YouTube in church long before other church plants were on YouTube. You start ministries before you're ready. We started a ministry called Toddler Time because of YouTube. And we still have it today. Now, if you Google our YouTube Toddler Time, it's not going to come up. But we didn't have a nursery and we didn't have any volunteers that could do nursery. But we had this family, a large family. We met on outreach. They had five kids, and they're all between newborn and six years old. Yeah, stair steps. One Sunday in the middle of my sermon, everyone got to listen to an episode of Baby Shark on YouTube. And nobody stopped it. So the next Sunday, we had a ministry called Toddler Time. And Shelly would take the kids right out after worship and bring them in right at altar call. And that's how you do. You just manage it. Funny stuff happens in a new church. Well, let me tell you, wonderful things, God things happen in a new church. God things happen in a new church. This image they're about to show you is Tamara. Tamara is a wonderful woman, raised in Russia, came 
to the U.S. with her two kids in the mid-90s. Alone. Was an engineer there, came here, waited tables in a restaurant. She learned English for an opportunity. She's a strong woman. She's a smart woman. And she came to church because she was invited while shopping in Walmart. She was like many guests. She came in late in the door. You don't want to get there too early. And quick to get out of the door when you're done. And my pregnant wife chased her down in the parking lot of the community center trying to make a connection because the connection is everything. Well, she came back the following Sunday. When she came back the following Sunday, I invited, to come, invited her to come to our house. I, I met her at the door and I said, hey, we're having a group Bible study. You should come. I lied to that lady. We only had a group Bible study because there was more than one person in our family. I said, we're having a group Bible study this week. You should come. She said, I'll, I'll try and come. So then I get home and I start calling people we had a relationship with in my in-laws church in Oakwood. They're about 35, 40 minutes north. I said, please, 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 can you be there? Can you be there? We're going to do it. It's not going to be Wednesday night. It's not going to conflict. I just need warm bodies. I need people smiling. She shows up. I taught her a Bible study for one year. Show that picture again. That was a Bible study in our home. She was... Her only church experience had been Russian Orthodox. I remember the first time, my wife remembers the first time that she raised her hands in worship. That was a breakthrough. I looked at my wife playing the piano, tears coming down her face, because that woman felt the presence of God in that little bitty church service. Beautiful. Things, wonderful things. I still remember baptizing her in the name of Jesus in a church tank. My in-laws church, 40 minutes to baptize her, drive up there and drive back. I remember the Saturday night after a great prayer meeting when she texted us, it was over a period of about two years, said, I believe I received the Holy Spirit praying. When I got home tonight, I continued praying. I believe I received the baptism the Holy Spirit, words were coming out of my mouth that I didn't know. I said, that's great. You can have that same experience anytime. Praise God for it tomorrow when you get to church. And I can remember her coming in, next picture. That next day in church, stepping out in the aisle like this right here. She does this every week now. Steps out in the aisle and throws her hands in the air and begins to sing and just a couple of words starts speaking in tongues. The presence of God falling on her. Wonderful God things happen in a new church. This year, Anna, this picture is coming up. Anna came to church, found us during the pandemic. She was raised in a and a Christian family, good Christian family, never received the Holy Ghost. It just wasn't promoted at her church, taught about at the church she grew up in. And she had become discontent, looking for something. And her parents, they're awesome people. And they're children's ministers at that church still. I need a children's minister. I'm praying for that family. 
We taught her a Bible study in our home. Her brother started coming with her. She got baptized in the name of Jesus. Her parents came to that service, the only service they've ever been in in our church. Baptized her in the name of Jesus. While later praying with her, she received the promise, being filled with the Spirit of God, speaking in other tongues. She's being discipled, and she is a teacher now. One of our teachers in our children's ministry, wonderful God things happen in a new church. God things. I want to talk to you about the place that you have in the life of a church plant. Most of us are familiar with Paul. Paul preached in a lot of places. He preached in Damascus. He preached in Tarshish. He preached in Antioch. He preached in Jerusalem, Cyprus, Galatia, Crete, throughout Asia Minor, Greece, among many other places. Not all recorded, I'm sure. It's estimated that he started somewhere between 90 to 20 churches during his ministry. Wrote 13 of 27 books from the New Testament. Paul's life of ministry stands as a testimony for every one of us to how God can work through faith and obedience. But you know, early in his ministry, he's called, he's chosen, his name is, he's going by Saul. But as he's starting out in this ministry trajectory, enemies of God's kingdom wanted to stop what God could do through this chosen vessel. The Lord had already chosen and called him as a vessel for ministry to unreached peoples and communities, the Gentile people. Saul was called as one of the first church planters. But before all of that, they tried to stop him. Acts 9.15 starts to record what I'm talking about. It says, the Lord said to him, and this is to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul's chosen. Saul's going to go. Saul will suffer. And Saul is willing. He's willing to sacrifice and willing to suffer for reaching lost people. But as Saul grew in strength, a few verses later, verse 22, it says, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Enemies start to plot to kill him. After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known. The Bible tells us that they watched the gate day and night. If he were to leave the city, they were going to try to kill him. If he were to try and escape, they were going to kill him. They wanted to stop him from carrying the message that had stirred them up so much. Stop him from going outside that city to anywhere else and get a work of God started or done. They were intending to catch And kill him. Listen, the enemy always wants to kill things of God in its infancy. 
If you have a promise from God, the enemy will try to stop and kill it in its infancy. He's not going to wait until you have hold of that promise. He's going to try and kill it when it's in its infancy. He wants to stop you right now. That's why we need to hang on to our babies and our children and our young people because until they get to the place where they're stable and determined, the enemy is trying to kill them. And he will try to kill your promises. And he will try to kill your ministry. You think about Moses. Tried to kill him as a baby. Jesus tried to kill him as a baby. Saul, increasing in spiritual strength, plotted to kill him. The enemy will kill the promises of God in your early life. And the enemy will try to kill a church in its early life. The enemy goes after our church planters. He goes after new churches. You want to know where the spiritual warfare is raging like never before in Georgia? I can tell you where. It's in the homes and the lives of church planters like the Murray family in Woodbury, Georgia. It's in people like the Copeland family. You're familiar with them. Bremen, Georgia. The Warner family, Richmond Hill. The Brando family in Canton, the Keesling family, you know them too, in Hiram. The Wynn family in Atlanta, the Serrano family in Lawrenceville. And then the youngest church planters, planters who came from Mississippi because of a burden to Fayetteville, Georgia. The Cockrell family. And then the coolest dude that you're going to see here on this deal tonight. John Young Sr. in Eastman, Georgia. He's the one in the hat. He's the one in the hat. And I hope and I pray that I have a church plant in me at the age that he is. 73. Planting another church. Honor to that guy. But right now the enemy is plotting and scheming and watching Any opportunity that they can, they're going to kill what the Lord wants to do through them. But the enemy won't win. He won't be successful. You know why? Because God is on their side. And I praise God that we have God on our side. He is with us. He is carrying the burden. He is working the load. He is doing everything. It's his harvest in those cities and praise God for that. But you know what else? You know why the enemy won't, won't win? Because you're on their side. Because you're on their side. The enemy would have killed Paul and all the promise that God had put in Paul as a chosen vessel. Someone said, what are we going to do? They're going to kill him. What should we do? He can't leave the gates. He can't go out of the city. We've got to hide Paul. What are we going to do? They want his head. They want to kill him. And one of them said, well, I have a basket. Another one said, I have some rope. We've got a window here. It all happens in verse 25. Disciples took him by night, let him down through the wall in a large basket. I have a basket. I have some rope. I can help lower him. 
Someone took the weight in their hands and said, we're going to get this man out the window. We're going to make sure he's supported. We're going to make sure the message that's carried forward. He's willing to go, but he needs somebody that's willing to hold a rope. He needs somebody who's willing to give a basket. He needs somebody who's willing to do what he's not able to do and support him as he goes out the window to keep him alive. And the work dies if someone doesn't give a basket. The work dies if someone doesn't offer rope. The work dies if someone is not willing to put calluses on their hands letting them out of the window the work dies don't ever think that what you do is not supporting them it's making a world of difference in their life when you give to Christmas for Christ whenever you send a baptismal tank to them when you offer a drum cage to them whenever you offer them anything that is in your hand and let them use it you're offering them a rope and a basket you're offering them hope that Jesus and God is working in them he's working in their life right now And they need you. They need basket givers. They need rope holders. There are almost 11 million people in Georgia. Almost 11 million. Most of them are lost. They can't do it alone. Those people that are willing to go, willing to sacrifice, they can't do it alone. I know because I was there. I thank God for what he's done in our church, but I'll tell you why our church is there. It's because of a miracle of God. And it's because there were people who were willing to give and support my wife and I and say, we're not gonna let you go without. And whenever I called, Brother Johns was like, yeah, we've got an offering for that. Yeah, we've got support for that. We can do that. It was because someone offered a basket and someone offered rope. They can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Brother Johns can't do it alone. We wish we could, but we can't. And you can't. And they can't. But together, chosen people going, disciples supporting, and letting them have the support they need. Give them a rope. Give them a basket. I'm getting ready to end. If you'll stand with me, I'm going to end pretty quickly. This coming Sunday, whenever you come in with your sacrificial offering, you know what you're doing? You're, you're giving a rope. You're offering a basket. You're taking and putting calluses on your hand. How many of you work today? How many of us, we had jobs, we went to work today? How many of us, we, we came home, come to church, and we're tired, but we're committed? Yeah. You get those calluses on your hands at work. You're supporting. You're offering rope. You're offering a basket. 